Oh, hey, I'm glad you're here, because this is a stakeout. However, I'm not putting you under arrest, and I'm not pretending to be a police officer, which is definitely illegal and an awkward way to start this episode. Now, there are rules and laws, and in some cases they provide a necessary structure to society. I mean, as much as my father doesn't think he needs someone telling him how fast it is safe to drive, I think we can all agree, daily, we see people who do in fact need that, as well as constant supervision. There are people who just don't think that things apply to them. I see it a lot at the farmer's market. There's a no-dog policy, and I won't get into whether it's food safety or a leash in a crowd is just dangerous, because it doesn't matter. It's just the policy. And yet, you'll see many people who suddenly can't read the sign, and they just look straight ahead and think that that makes their dog just another shopper. Or there are people who pick up their dog, like being three feet off the ground, turns a schnauzer into a Jacquard Dorothy sports bag, which it does not. And every time they're confronted, they're baffled. Like, oh, what? Like, they haven't been coming there for a decade. It's like, bro, instead of putting the dog on your shoulders and wearing a giant trench coat, you've tried every angle advised except for doing what they're being asked to do. And this was really prevalent in my life growing up in the aisles of my dad's video store. There are two laws to the aisles, and everyone knows this, because to get an account, you sign a document. You enter a contract. There's no possible way for you to be face-to-face -face signing on the dotted line and not know these two things. Number one, if you do not return your tape by the assigned time, there is what? Everyone say it aloud. One, two, three. Yes, a late fee. And if you said it out loud, you are both correct and getting weird looks from people around you. And yet time and time again, people would return a tape to rent a new one. And you'd say, well, there's a two ninety-nine late fee here that needs to be paid. And they'd be like, well, I only brought enough money for American Ninja 2, The Confrontation, and American Ninja 3, Blood Hunt. And I gotta have both or I won't know how the confrontation leads to a blood hunt. Which is a valid point. Except Michael Dudikoff wasn't even in the third one. He comes back for the fourth. Am I right? Where my Dudikoff head's at? You? Over there? John? Anybody? Okay. Anyway, the second rule or law or code, and you can say this with me. We all know this one. It's catchy. Be kind, rewind. Which I'm sure when the first sticker was printed, all the store owners were like, well, we'll probably just need one of these. Flash forward to everything having three stickers on it. And eventually a penalty because people are just so self-absorbed they can't imagine that their actions would impact other people. So the big penalty of 50 cents was applied. Surely that squashed the onslaught of unrewound tapes. Nope. And I can just imagine the family at home like, Honey, what did the pale kid at the video store tell us we had to do after the movie? Started with an R. Regurgitate? All right, kids, everyone in the bathroom, the credits are rolling on Mac and me, and we all got to toss our cookies. Walter Jr., you get your honey in there. I don't care if you want to see who that cinematographer is. Get in there and purge. I ain't paying no 50 cents just because you like how that McDonald's scene looked. Then they return. The tape's unrewound. They're all weak from lack of nutrition from rewatching Mac and me for three days because it certainly was a 99-cent rental. Okay, you know what? That, that never happened. Uh, and I'm way off of what I was initially talking about because maybe sometimes I need parameters too. Uh, you know, I'm, I am of the people. But my point is, for this episode, we're speaking to a person whose job is a part of that system. Which brings us to the intro. There we go. The film is Dead Heat. The guest is a police officer. And this is VHS. <laughs>
Hello, and welcome to VHS, the podcast where each episode is about a film, and the guest has the profession portrayed in the film. You can find us on Instagram at vh.us, vhs underscore podcast on Twitter, and we do have a Facebook and Patreon, which you can easily find as well. I'm your host, Dirk Marshall, and I'm joined in the studio today by Jeremy, who is a police officer. Thank you for being here. Thank you. People can find more about you by breaking the law. That is true. You also do a lot of things that don't involve that, but... Uh, yes. Which I won't get into, but I am a very uh, good person. So except for one time in Seattle, um, I would not have met you except for under these circumstances. So I'm pretty happy about that. The reason I'm joined by Jeremy is because we're brought together by the film Dead Heat. Was this a first time watch for you? Yes, it was. Awesome. I chose this for a specific reason. Um, Police officers, I have a lot of respect for people in in the force that keep people safe. And uh, as I was telling you before we were live, uh, my wife and I have had numerous encounters where we had to call the services of police officers and um and we really appreciate that thank you so i wanted something a little light and had some levity to it and when i reached out to you you said you don't really watch a lot of movies that involve police unless it's maybe on the lighter end of things yes yeah so i chose uh this film which is a riff on a film from 1949 called doa where uh, the character Frank Bigelow has been poisoned and only has a few days to live and tries to find out who has killed him and why. Hmm. I I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a little interesting fact. The synopsis for Dead Heat is a cop and his undead partner must chase down the diabolical villain who killed him. At the time of this recording, you can rent it at Movie Madness, buy the DVD online, stream it on Amazon or iTunes. So that's great, because people can find this film that a lot of people haven't heard of. Yeah. Uh, First, we'll put the film in context. The director is Mark Goldblatt. He did Dead Heat in 88, The Punisher in 89. But as an editor, he did a lot of films that are a little bit more well-known. In 80, he did... Oh, 78, he did Piranha. In 80, he did Humanoids from the Deep. Humanoids from the Deep. 81, Howling. 81, Enter the Ninja. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. 81, Halloween 2. 84, something called The Terminator. Oh, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah. And then uh, Rambo First Blood Part 2, Commando, Nightbreed Predator 2, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, uh, True Lies, Showgirls, Starship Troopers, Armageddon, Bad Boys 2, and it keeps going. So Wow. Yeah. The director of Dead Heat is actually a fantastic editor. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't looked it up. The cinematographer is Robert D. Yauman. Did Johnny Be Good in 88? Dead Heat in 88, Drugstore Cowboy in 89, uh, Rushmore in 98, Dogma in 99, Royal Tannenbaums in 2001. He turns out he's Wes Anderson's cinematographer, so part of the reason all of his films look so great is from a person that did cinematography for Dead Heat. Wow. Yeah, which is pretty unbelievable. He even did The French Dispatch, which is the new movie Wes Anderson did coming out this year. The editor, Harvey Rosenstock, Teen Wolf 2, Dead Heat, Curly Sue... Scent of a Woman, the editor of Dead Heat, did Scent of a Woman, Tombstone, Kiss the Girls, both Dolphin Tales movies, and he's done a ton of episodes of Donovan and Homeland. Wow. So I love to like talk about these things because you, someone might watch Dead Heat and think, oh, it's like this quirky 80s film or whatever, these people didn't do anything else, but oftentimes you find that these people did a lot. Yeah, the, I've seen a lot of those movies. Yes. <laughs> Uh, actors, so we got Treat Williams, uh, he's in Marathon Man Uncredited, his big breakout was Hair in 79, 
He played an uncredited trooper in Empire Strikes Back, which is fascinating because that's a big thing now where they just like put, you know, whatever big actor in, as a star as a trooper in Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, Dead Heat in '88, Mulholland Falls in '96, The Phantom in '96, Devil Zone in '97, Deep Rising, which is one of my favorites. Um, he had the series The Substitute. There's four films there, and he has four movies coming out this year, including uh, uh, what is it? Christmas on the Square opposite Dolly Parton. Oh, yeah. I'll have to look for that there's, one. There's one. Uh, we also have Joe Piscopo, who famously did SNL, Johnny Dangerously in 84, Wise Guys in 86 with Danny DeVito, Dead Heat, Sidekicks in 92, and he's in a new film called Spring Break 83. The synopsis is about kids, but the stars list this way. Morgan Fairchild, Joe Pantaleone, Alan Richards, Lee Majors, and Eric Estrada. So I don't know... <laughs> That'll like, be interesting. Yeah, if it's a de-aging situation. like uh, Anyway, it's very strange. And then the last actor I wanted to mention is Darren McGavin. Uh, he's a legend. Um, he had an epic run of television starting in 1945. Uh, Man with a Golden Arm in 55. Tons of TV. He was Kolchak the Night Stalker. 20 episodes of that. Most people know him from a 1983 film called A Christmas Story, uh, where he gets a lamp that's a, a woman's leg. Uh, he did Turk 182, Raw Deal in 86, Dead Heat in 88, and Billy Madison in 95, so <laughs> pretty, pretty great. Uh, Steve Johnson did all the special effects. Uh, he also worked on Predator, Leviathan, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, Howling 4 and 5, Species 2, Suburban Commando with Hulk Hogan, and <laughs> Spider-Man 2 in 2004. Um, so those are all the people kind of working within this, this very strange buddy cop film. Uh, which was written by uh, the uh, the the writer's brother wrote Lethal Weapon, so there's kind of a pedigree of buddy cop situations going on. Okay. There. Yeah. The film starts with an aerial shot, which is actually stock footage because they couldn't afford to have a helicopter. <laughs> um, which we see a pattern of that in this film. Uh, they made a film for only five million dollars, so. Wow. Yeah, they kind of got their every penny. Uh, we see two robbers, one of which is Peter Kent, who is the body double for Arnold Schwarzenegger in Predator and Terminator. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's one of the two guys with the funny masks. Yeah. On, which are like the weirdest masks I've seen. Yeah. Yeah, they were. <laughs> it's like they don't fit at all. No. It's so weird. Like they had the masks first and then cast it and they're like, oh, um, just really stretch it onto your head. Yeah. The two robbers head into a jewelry store, put on a heist, uh, as the kids are saying. They don leather hoods that are definitely too small. And my favorite moment is they both tuck their huge Uzis in the front of their pants. Yep, that was <laughs> very uncomfortable. Yeah, they don't set it. It's, I don't no. know if there's safeties on those things. But uh, next we see Treat and Joe, and these are our buddy cops. Mm -hmm. One of them straight-laced, Treat driving. And then Joe Piscopo, on his side of the car, they put, like, like nudie girl pictures and like weird plastic figures and he's like drumming to the music like he's a real wild card yep it's really um they 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 make a clear path to who the characters are right away Doug. yes yeah Doug what I felt that we were going plain clothes today why didn't you tell me we were going undercover yeah why what's the matter Rod I look like an FBI agent on a Rose Bowl float they have some back and forth with their buddy cop things um 
as a as a police officer, you probably have to wear the police officer uh, outfit. You don't get to pick if you're going to wear a suit or a leather jacket or no. It's yeah. it's mostly a uniform unless you have a special assignment. Got it. Yes. Uh, and I wanted to actually uh, break from my notes for a second because in researching this and trying to find a guest, I realized that I don't understand the different roles. Like in movies, people say he's a he's a beat cop, he's a detective, he's... I don't know. Um, I know that if someone has a dog, that's their thing. But like, what what sort of... How does it work? Do you get to audition for a part or like... Normally, how it works is people put in for special assignments, whether okay. that's detective, um, canine, school resource officers. Uh, some bigger agencies have all kinds of specialty positions. Mm. And if you're lucky enough to get chosen for those positions, sometimes you get to wear a suit all the time. Sometimes you get to dress up if you're a narcotics detective. You okay. get to wear the leather jacket mm-hmm. with the torn up jeans yes. and let your hair grow out. So a lot of it just depends on assignments you get chosen for. So so you work for the department, mm-hmm. but you can have different assignments? Yes. Oh. Yes. That never clicked with me, but maybe most people know. I don't know. So is a detective a position, or is that an assignment? Normally it's a assignment. Some departments, once you become a detective, that's where you're at for the rest of your career. Okay. Others are, you may do a five-year stint in detective and then rotate out on the road so everybody kind of gets a shot at it. Okay. So I did that for a little while. I got to dress up in the suit and the tie Whoa. and look good for quite a while and then went back to the road in a uniform. And um, as you go through different assignments and things and find things maybe perhaps that you like more or you're more attuned to... Can you like sort of campaign to maintain that or is it still sort of expected that you rotate around? Um, the agency I'm at, you can kind of campaign and stay mm. in it. They mm-hmm. may rotate you out at a certain point. Some of the bigger areas, like I said, they'll, if you're good at it, they'll keep you in there. Got it. Um, if maybe they're thinking the road's better for you, a different assignment, they may put you back out somewhere else sure and uh it, the thing you always see in movies the big trope is uh if you do anything crazy you're going to be a, seated at the desk and then everyone's going to mock you because you're a desk jockey is that a real thing or is this just a movie thing more of a movie okay. thing every now and again you'll get pulled in and you know maybe another there are four pencil pushers and all kinds of yeah, yeah. You, you don't really get put behind a desk but okay. in a few weeks you may <laughs> you may pick a little flack from your buddies got it okay that makes sense freeze drop your weapons they shoot the robbers but the robbers won't stay down uh they are zombie jewel thieves and so we're introduced to the first sort of horror movie trope that's differing this this buddy cop film, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see this a lot in films with people on PCP, especially in the 80s. Is this a real thing? Like, does PCP, is that still prevalent? And do people have superpowers? Um, I've never seen PCP. I've heard of it. Got it. Um, it's something everybody's trained on because, yes, they do have superpowers. And you've seen training videos and stuff of oh, yeah. okay. back east when guys are on PCP. So it it's something to be aware of. Okay, cool. That, I always wondered that. Uh, the stunt director is Dan Bradley. He did Jackass and Seabiscuit, which is quite a, <laughs> yeah. quite a variation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, finally, one of them drops a grenade. Uh-oh. And then treat very um, 
aggressively rams the other one with a car. Yep. <laughs> yes, he did. It's quite a quite a moment. Uh, Rob Picardo is the head cop. What do you call them? Sergeants, commanders. What is? Um, yeah, sergeant, sergeant, lieutenant, incident commander. Who would be like in the incident like that? Because he's like behind the cars with the other police squad. So would he be? He'd probably be the incident commander. Incident commander. Okay, great. So that's Bob Cardo. He played all the monsters and explorers, as well as being on Star Trek Voyager and did a ton of voice work. Super talented guy. Then they're back at the police station and they get chewed out for their recklessness. Yep. Unauthorized use of a city vehicle. Reckless endangerment of property and lives. Use of a non-regulation firearm. That was me, not Bigelow, sir. Disrespectful conduct. Flippant and tasteless verbal remarks. That was me. And 18 parking tickets so far this month. Need I point out that you guys are already on probation twice? And that this morning's cowboy adventure puts both of you on the endangered species list? And that your badges go into the shitter if you screw up just one more time? This happens a lot in, in buddy cop films. Uh, do you have a... Is this a? I, okay, I try to stay away from like realism in these <laughs> movies because I'm not interested in that. But what you always see, leave the weapon. All these movies is like they go rogue and crazy, and mm-hmm. then there's the commander or supervisor, whoever it is, that just reams them for it. Uh, how, how is this? You you do see that from time to time, okay. but normally you're not back out on on the road. Oh, got it. You know, an hour later, you're normally behind a desk doing reports Got it. or you may be going home for the afternoon okay cool but normally you have protocol things that you're sticking to yes you're not going to do what treat did like hop in a car and shoot a shotgun at them driving no. back and forth in the middle of a gun battle correct <laughs> okay oh man um piscopo improvises a line in this scene where he says call me thursday to a nun which is like a very 80s Yes. There, uh, we see Martha Quinn, one of the first MTV VJs on the TV screen. She was hired to be the news reporter in that. Ended in bloodshed today. Part of what police are calling the most violent string of robberies in city history. And you barely even see her. Yeah, good old, I didn't know that. Good old Martha. The entire production was granted free Mrs. Fields cookies because of this scene. As long as Joe Piscopo picked up the bag and ate one of the cookies, Miss Fields sent the entire production free cookies for the duration of the film yeah (laughs) good product placement because you know everyone went to dead heat and was like i gotta get some of those cookies yeah uh we go to the morgue and joe's on the way there says do you ever wonder about your death day rod let's say your death day was i don't know april 23rd and somehow you knew that you could have a death day party and he has this like it's like the deepest moment for this character throughout the entire film because he's kind of like the meathead guy, you know. He's very into bodybuilding, which got him the role in the first place. Um, but it's it's an odd section because he's he's thinking about this, whereas Treat Williams is the brains and yeah. he's like the bronze of the situation, so to speak. So how have you been? I have a home phone, Roger. Using the mutilated remains of street scum as an excuse to ask after my help is not exactly what I would call... And you call me degenerate. Uh, we meet Claire Kirkconnell. She's the medical examiner. She did a ton of TV, like TJ Hooker. So some more police work. Yeah. And the A-Team. Uh, and then in comes Darren McGavin. Dr. McNabb, I am not in the habit of signing a death certificate for someone who just doesn't feel well. Well, I would hope not. 
But the fact remains that either you screwed up or these two boys got up after you were done and strolled out of here. I never forget a body, doctor. Uh, he, he, when they were filming this, Derek McGavin, is, he's like a legend compared to everyone else that was on screen. And he would have them actually run lines in between and do all these very like, like classic actor sort of things, like bringing the cast together and being like, okay, let's go over this, let's get the timing right. And not a lot of times you would think about Dead Heat in a way that you would think like they were rehearsing and trying to get the emotion of a scene. But right. I just love the, the level of acting that goes into these things that a lot of times people just thought it was like a fun movie to watch. But behind the scenes, there's all of these talented people taking it really seriously. Huh. And that's kind of what makes it, I think, uh, so enjoyable. Treat goes to see Claire, and she's just smoking, which is something you don't see anymore. No, you don't. Uh, the office scene has a frozen fish tank, which is really weird. Yeah, that was that was a little <laughs> odd. I, I noticed that. She says that there's a chemical in the bodies of the people that were shot, and that they need to go check out this drug company. Trace quantities of sulfathiazole, a drug once used in bacterial infections. Pretty obscure stuff. Dante Pharmaceuticals. Recent purchaser of 50 kilos of sulfathiazole. Yes. So off they go to a water plant that they turned into the drug company. Uh, the guy up front is reading a Playboy. It's very strange. Uh, and then Lindsay Frost enters playing Randy James. What's this all about, officer? Well, we're not at liberty to disclose the details, Miss James, but we are interested in a recent purchase you made of a drug called sulfathiazole. And if you know any zombies. She is our leading lady, our romantic lead, I guess you would say. She's in a wicked pantsuit. And uh, Lindsay's brother is Mark Frost, who co-created Twin Peaks with David Lynch, which is pretty interesting. Um, She was a regular on uh, As the World Turns, and she took over that role from Jodie Foster when she went on to uh, the big screen. He says, I hope I don't offend you, and then just shows her pictures of dead people. Is this protocol? Is that... (laughs) No, okay. no. Normally we don't show pictures of dead people. Yeah. But... I, and he, they're the actual pictures from like the coroner office. So I was like, yep. wouldn't you have to sign out those pictures? Or You would think. And they're Polaroids yes. too, which was kind of odd. Yeah. It's so strange. Uh, Piscopo says, uh, You know, Miss James, I gotta take a leak so bad my teeth are floating. Is there a little boy's room around here? I just got pee pee. Just so charming. Yeah. So Piscopo. Uh, and then he sneaks into the resurrection room, which is a really cool set for such a low-budget film at the time. That the big crazy machine, yeah. the crystal things that stick up. Um, it's pretty awesome. Uh, Patrick Reed Johnson worked on the special effects. Uh, he wrote Space Devaders and Dragonheart. And he made the mask for the crazed zombie biker that wakes up in this scene. And he directed Angus as well as Space Invaders. So it's kind of oh. interesting. Special effects and directing, kind of switching roles like yeah. the... You can do in the department, I guess. Yep. Different yep. assignments. The crazy zombie biker wakes up and fights him. Treat gets locked in the speaker room, is what I'm calling it. Yeah, it looks like big speakers yeah, on each side. Yeah, huge speakers. Uh, a gloved hand turns the machine on. Piscopo bludgeons the biker, shoots the creepy secretary guy, but the oxygen gets sucked out of the room, and Treat dies. The coroner shows up, and he says, What happened? And Joe says, Got locked in the decompression room. died the way dogs are supposed to die which i don't think is accurate i don't think no. that's how dogs are supposed to die no no you don't put them in a room and suck the air out it's a very strange yeah <laughs> i mean i get the okay anyway uh she and joe investigate the resurrection chamber and she says this is how they do it doug 
This is how they resurrect the dead. So they put Treat on the machine, which I, I, I don't think this is protocol either, because where was... Like, somebody would have... The body's just left there. They're completely unsupervised. Yeah, that, that doesn't happen very <laughs> often. So Bodies weird. just don't disappear. Yeah, it's so bizarre. And then they turn the machine on to bring him back. We learn that his full name is Roger Mortis. Uh, oh. Yep, there yeah. it is. Uh, the electrical elements, the blue lightning in this, is directly borrowed from Terminator because the special effects person also worked on Terminator. So when Arnold first appears on the concrete naked in Terminator, this is the same lightning effect. Oh. Just inserted into... So they save money there as well, just like the aerial shot. Okay. Yeah, getting the most out of that $5 million. Uh, Treat comes back and he says, Hi, guys. And he's like super buoyant and friendly and carefree. Yep. Uh, he's really great in this, but he's dead. He has no pulse, no heartbeat. And uh, Re Rebecca says, you haven't heard the worst of it. And Treat says, I'm dead, Rebecca. How much worse can it get? <laughs> One of the uh, main films I mentioned is uh, DOA from 1949 by Rudolph Mattei. It stars Edward O'Brien, uh, where he somebody poisons his drink and he has 24 hours to find the killer. This movie takes it one step further. The detective is dead, and he only has 12 hours. Yep. So they kind of just updated this thing that people haven't. Not a lot of people are rewatching 1949 cinema, so you know it works to their uh, their advantage. Treat starts losing his color, so they buy him lipstick. Yes. This is another great funny moment where he gets mulberry wine. My wife watching this on Thursday was instantly saying, that's not his color, before he even put it on. <laughs> and then he puts it on. It's the wrong shade. It's a funny gag. Um, Joe says it really brings out your eyes. And then uh, we get some sort of offensive uh, portrayals of like classic homosexual 80s humor. As long as you're looking at films in the context of when they were made, it's pretty commonplace, and it could have been way worse. So mm -hmm. you kind of, a lot of these films, you just kind of roll over these moments, because it's a product of its time. Yep. You know? Uh, they go to Lindsay Frost's house and search her purse, and they play a tape of a dying man, and we see Vincent Price is in this movie. Yes. This may be the last time that I ever talk to you, and I want you to know certain things that I was unable to say. Which is pretty amazing. Uh, the staging in this 80s house is incredible. I love this era of TV and film because everything's made like it's a music video set. Like, it's so wild. Yep. And there's never banisters. Every stair is just an open staircase. It's yeah. like something, I don't know why they did this, but... Uh... In come two zombies. One of them's played by Pons Mar. He's the uh, white guy. He was Sarad in Masters of the Universe, Fu in The Golden Child, he was uh, in the entire TV series Dinosaurs, if you remember that. Yeah. Yeah, he was Theodore Rex in Theodore Rex, which is more dinosaur work, and he's the lead wheeler in the terrifying film Return to Oz. Oh. Yeah. He gave me nightmares. Uh, <laughs> Dewan Scott's the African-American pool zombie, and because of his height, he played uh, Bigfoot in the magic world of Disney, and then he was the stunt person in the suit for Harry and the Hendersons, and then was Harry in the TV series. Um, which is pretty amazing. So yeah. those are two people in their makeup effects that show up at the pool. Uh, Treat gets shot up by the Uzi but keeps moving because it doesn't matter. He's dead. No. Uh, they fall. There's a pool fight. Uh, Treat jumps out of a hot tub, which is a direct homage to Rambo 2, uh, which the editor, you know, worked yeah. on. So yep. it's kind of funny that they're, like, working in stuff from his, his repertoire. Uh, in the original script, there's a part where Joe pauses and says to Treat, at least we know the the dead zombie in the hot tub's name and treat says what is it and he says stew 
<laughs> Somehow that ended up on the cutting room floor. Uh, they chat with Lindsay Frost about Vincent Price. We learn it's her dad. Yeah. And he's dead. Uh, then we see Treat brushes hair and clumps are coming out. Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay, time's ticking. We're moving forward. Uh, he opens the mirror to put the comb back and we get a shot of a zombie screaming. Yep. And then he realizes it's just his own mortality, I guess, right. uh, staring him in the face. Uh, something that freaks me out uh, is that we don't know their origin story, but we also don't know yours. So what prompted you to want to become a police officer? Um, you know, it's something I wanted to do in high school. I have family that was involved in law enforcement. And when I got out of high school, it I went into a couple different things. I did electrical. I did carpet and kind of kept going back to law enforcement. And I became a reserve and... Mm. Then I was hired in the jail, and I got to do that for five years before actually... What is a reserve? Reserve is a volunteer. You're, okay. You're going and getting paid, not paid to go do the job or to help police officers. You're not okay. doing their job, but you get to help. Um, you learn kind of the, you know, the ins and outs of it, almost like an apprenticeship. Okay, um, yeah. It's, it's a good way to get into it and figure out if it's something you really want to do. Got it. Yeah. So went and did that. And, and then jail. Then I worked there for five years, got started. That was actually a really good place to uh, start out. Um, you know, I learned man, a lot of stuff. Mostly a lot of these guys, you know, once they're inside and mm -hmm. they're away from the drugs and the alcohol, they're just like anybody else. It's just these addiction issues and stuff they fight. Yeah. Um, trying to get help and stuff. So, you know talking to them and learning kind of where they're coming from or some of the addiction issues they face. It was a, a real learning experience for me. That's something that my wife and I both, I think, encountered in social work is because you're not, nowadays, especially online and things, you can put yourself in a little box and surround yourself with everyone that thinks like you and is like you. Mm -hmm. uh, but really, when you're out there with everybody, it helps to be exposed to these things because it breaks down preconceived notions that maybe you had you yeah. know and then you suddenly realize like oh like we're all people and some of us have addiction issues or you yeah. know make errors in judgment or get coerced into doing things that we maybe didn't even know were that bad or whatever yep. and then you're just like oh got it okay exactly. like and it sounds like that sort of exposure in prison was that it, it was it was a, a really good start for me and yeah i think it really taught me how to kind of approach people and like you said, keeps it in mind that they're people, that yeah. they're fighting a different battle than I might be and mm -hmm. to treat them with dignity. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. And then after the five years in jail? Then I went and was hired on and I've um, been with an agency for 15 years now. Um, really enjoyed it. Really like getting out and helping people. And I've had a few different assignments. Like I said earlier, I was yeah. a detective for um three years really enjoyed that assignment and i've been in the schools for six or seven years now and that's that's been an adventure it's something different to do and yeah. i really enjoyed that too that's awesome i uh because of this podcast i'm now curious about most people's jobs and when we were doing an event in san francisco they had a lot of uh, police presence at where this event was um and outside there was four police officers one of them had a dock and I saw the dog, and I knew I couldn't ask the dog about his job, but I wanted to know <laughs> if they get, how, you know, what their work week is. And so I asked the, the officer, 
and super friendly and was just like, oh yeah, they work four tens. And, you yeah. know, I was just like, wait, what? Like, and then the reality <laughs> of letting a police dog, because other dogs don't have jobs. So that was like, when right. that dog's around other dogs, it's like, well, I got to go to work. And yep. the other dogs are like, what are you talking about? It was just such a strange thing. But I loved the serious way that they just kind of like, yeah, they work four tens and then they get, you know, paid time off and things. I'm like, what? Yep. Meal breaks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's fascinating. Uh, do you, so when you're out and about, do you have like a beat or in movies you see people just sitting in cars, officers are just sitting there waiting for something to happen or they're doing like a, like a, a speeding zone or something. Um, do you have like an area that you patrol or? Yeah. Um, I'm in a small enough town. We're not split up into districts like some of the larger Got it. areas. So kind of the whole town is mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really sit around just waiting for something to happen. I drive around. Got I'll get it. out and walk around a little bit, and depending on what shift I'm working and mm-hmm. where I'm working, um, talk to people, run by Starbucks, get, yeah. get my coffee in the morning. Um, run radar, yeah, but stay busy, drive around, be seen. Yeah. Have a presence. Yes. Let people know. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Do you have a scheduled lunch or does it just fluctuate around whether you're called or not? It fluctuates around calls. Sometimes um, sometimes I don't get lunch till I work a 10-hour shift and sometimes it's seven or eight hours in before I get lunch and yeah. other times it's kind of routine where I get it after, you know, four or five hours. Mm. So it depends on the day. Wow. Uh any uh, favorite places to eat where you're at? Do you have like, I, I love to go to this place or I know this place is fast. Um, we've got a couple really good places. Uh, there's a noise. There a noise like N O I S E. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Asian food is really good. Nice. Great. Um, then there's it used to be Mucha's Gracias, but I believe it's called Victor. Victorinos now, hmm. they've got really good breakfast burritos. Oh, nice! Yeah, and they're right. they're open twenty four hours, so good place to go. Perfect. Yep. Good. Got some shout outs there. Well, I hope it's better than where they go, which is a butcher in Chinatown. <laughs> yes, much much better. <laughs> the uh, butcher is Professor Toru Tanaka, who was a wrestler. He was the butler in Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Sub Zero in Running Man. Okay. Yeah. 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 Love Running Man. Is it protocol to bring people on in dangerous investigations? Because not normally. <laughs> my no. wife was like, "That's this is probably not advised." Yeah, no, no, we normally don't take okay. people on stuff like that. Ah, oh, Miss James, always a pleasure. Uh, Mr. Thule, something terrible has happened. Yes, I know. Are these your friends, the police detectives? Got it right the first time, pups. We're looking for the man who takes deliveries from Dante Pharmaceuticals. You have found him. Key Luke uh, enters, and he was the main guy to uh, Charlie Chan. Most of us recognize him, though, as the guy who sells the Mogwai and Gremlins. Yep. Uh, he also did a ton of uh, voice work for, for cartoons. He hits a button, the lightning's back from Terminator, yep. and zombifies all the dead animals in the butcher shop. It's an insane special effects sequence. Yes, it is. It's, uh, it's the part where my wife was, you know, she's working on emails and stuff and she looks up and she's like how have i never seen this and it's true it's one of those scenes that once you've seen dead heat you're like oh the the butcher shop like Mm -hmm. you know the scene but i'm surprised it's not parts of clip shows because it's totally insane what happens in this sequence yep uh a a cow liver flies onto treat williams face yep uh 
Joe Piscopo, he's he's battling all kinds of things. Um, I think a pig at one point. Yes, a pig, a giant headless cow attacks him, which is yep. utter insanity. Uh, once they shoot the resurrection ray. Oh, in this in this scene, uh, Treat takes a cleaver to the hand. Yeah. No, this was cut out theatrically um, because the MPA said it was too graphic. And then it's been sort of partially reinserted back into the film. So you can see how they did the special effects split in the middle of his hand. Yeah. Um, I guess there was a bunch of things that they had. They made the prosthetics and everything of. And then the MPA was just like, no, this is too hmm. too graphic. Which, I mean, he's he can't get hurt. He's a cartoon character at this point. Yeah. You know, it's like, but all right. Uh, they shoot the ray. Everything goes back to rotting. Frost notices uh, Treat's hand and says, you're hurt. To which he replies, lady. I'm fucking dead, mm -hmm. which is <laughs> more great death comedy. Uh, there is a back room scene with a zombie duck head, which was demanded to be shot, and so they wrote the scene as dumb as possible because they thought it would end up on the cutting room floor. Uh, oh. And then the producers were like, perfect, keep it in. So they stuck with the scene that the filmmakers aren't excited about, It's especially after this massive effect sequence. Yeah. And But they're like, well, there it is. It's in the film. Uh, <laughs> we get a classic research library scene. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, originally they had a zombie in the library attack them, but then that, was, that part was cut as well. Here's another one. Oliver Lang, microchip wizard, March 4th. Here's another Howard Davison, commodities broker, April 3rd. You see any pattern? You see this trope a lot in detective movies where Detectives 7 is a great example. Spend yes. so much time in a library. Um, have any of your in uh, assignments involved you have to go to a library? No. Yeah, no. okay. Yeah, it's just an interesting thing. You always see them like going to a card catalog and reading books, and then they're just like, I've got the killer. Like It's like, all right. Uh, Treat gets sad. He trots away. Joe follows and they talk and they're reading obituaries and Roger says that they're writing his right now. He has this moment of humanity. And Piscopo said, You remember when we were in training? They always told us you can't be a good cop if you're a dead cop. Here's your chance to prove them wrong. Which is interesting. Uh, speaking of good, this is a good time as any for us to take a word from our sponsor. So we'll be right back after this. Are you tired of boring food and condiments made of processed ingredients? Then you need Marshall's Hot Sauce. Each small batch is made by Sarah Marshall, who sources from local farmers. Her dedication to knowing the sources carries on through right down to knowing the single origin beekeeper and even the harvester of the sea salt. Each sauce is plant-based, gluten-free, and packed with deliciousness. Annual offerings from mild to spicy being smoked habanero barbecue, red chili lime, serrano ginger lemongrass, and habanero carrot curry. Not to mention a rotating offering of limited edition sauces like Whiskey Smoked Ghost, Caramelized Scorpion Ghost, Volcano Sparkle, and even a collaboration with the Heatonist, Bird's Eye Charred Chive Dulce. There's always something new and delicious. Just head on over to MarshallsHoteSauce.com, that's Marshalls H-A-U-T-E-S-A-U-C-E.com. When checking out, enter VHUS in promo code for 20% off. That's VHUS at checkout for 20% off. And now, back to the show. We're back, and they hop in a car and are heading back to the morgue. Uh, Treat opens his shirt, and we get to see his real gross chest. Yes, it's yes. Very it's veiny and gray and decomposing. Yeah, decomposing. Roger, you've been shot. 
Oh, yeah, I meant to tell you about that. It's amazing you lived as long as you did. So how are you feeling? Great. Picture of health. Uh, a sequel was commissioned to uh, Dead Heat. It was written, and in this scene where she is sort of giving him a living autopsy, in the sequel she has to do that for herself. Uh, they wrote a whole sequence where you, so you have a medical examiner examining themselves, which uh-huh. was interesting, but sadly, hmm. yeah. Dead Heat opened on a thousand screens and didn't warrant enough uh, fanfare. So we didn't get Dead Heat 2. Oh. I know. It's a bummer. Uh, they see the head coroner outside, McGavin, and his license plate says Body Doc. Yeah. <laughs> what a custom license plate. Mm-hmm. Uh, they head to the graveyard where there was another zombie attack, but that where he, the zombie came out of the grave, and it would have been great, but that was also cut. Uh, they drive up to the mausoleum, uh, and all these moments where Treat is thinking about his mortality. He's really down in the dumps and processing this sort of situation. Nice place to spend the rest of your life. Swaying palms, the smell of jasmine, quiet neighbors. Now in your profession, there's a lot of things that go into it. You have to be trained in a variety of different ways. But one of the things that I think is really important is sort of self-care. So how do you sort of look out for you um, so that you can be present in all of these situations? Do you... Um, make sure that you have time to read, people meditate. I mean, there's all kinds of different things. Yeah. You know, I do a lot of, you know, a lot of times after a hard day, I'll go to the gym or I'll go for a run. Weekends, I make sure, spend time with my kids and family and, yeah. um, you know, do different things. I do a lot of hiking, a lot of outdoor stuff. I have friends that aren't police officers, which for me is big because it takes me away from talking about yeah. police work all the time. So when we talk about normal stuff, of course, they want to hear the police stories sure. sometimes. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, we get on other conversations, kids and, you know, whatever they're up to. Mm-hmm. So, And one of the things you touched on earlier is like exposure to people in different walks of life, we'll say, uh, can can humanize people and really oh, we're all just people but in your profession as also like social work like my wife and i did you can also be facing some of the darkest subject matter or mm-hmm. you know people that are always doing something wrong or whatever that you're seeing how do you keep from that changing your perspective on the world um i think a lot of it is with you know having friends that are outside of law enforcement. I mean, and realizing that when you do go to these things, we're called in people's worst moments. You know, we're not called when they're, um, they won the lottery. We're not called when (laughs) their kid's birthday. Yes. Their kid's birthday (laughs) or, you know, their kids had a great game. We're called at kind of their, their low moments or when they need help. And Mm -hmm. so getting out in the public walk you know walking in and getting your coffee instead of going through a drive-through making yourself out there and talking to oh, yeah. regular people we serve is a for me it's a good way yeah. so it it kind of lets me see people when they're having a good day that's not, awesome not when they're having the bad day yeah yeah that totally makes sense that that's just like a equal exposure so yeah. you, know, you can face the other things and then also yeah. see life and like your kids and stuff or, you know, do it, does it ever get weird that people constantly feel like they're going to get caught? Like, 
Like when people are driving and you see everyone change their speed because they see you. Oh, yeah. Or you come up to an intersection and you kind of see somebody do the little reach over uh, grab their seatbelt and pull yes. it over. You're just kind of like, I probably wouldn't have noticed until right. you made it obvious. Or oh, they're man. on their cell phone, they see you, and they slowly uh, <laughs> bring the cell phone down and put it in their right. lap. And, um, yeah, it's it's very humorous. There's a lot of humor in our jobs when yeah. we run into stuff like that's that. That's awesome. That kind of crack us up. Yeah, that's good. It's just one of those things. I, because people, we this is an NPR and we won't get into crazy stuff, but but people do have certain negative feelings say about police sometimes, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of that is um, in in the harmless world that I'm talking about the same way they would react to their parents. Like, they're like, I don't want someone telling me what to do. And yeah. then they treat you on the front lines like you're the lawmaker when mm-hmm. you're like, I didn't set the speed limit, you know? It's yep. like those kind of things people just are like, it's the police person that's doing it. And it's like, laws change and you have to yeah. adhere to that. Like, yep. you know, whether it's the seatbelt, which my, my dad is the number one person to be like, like, we grew up not wearing seatbelts, you know, and now we got to wear seatbelts. And you're yeah. just like, that's the the person that would pull you over wasn't the person that was like, I made sure that everyone had to wear seatbelts. <laughs> no, no, we don't make the laws. <laughs> it's just funny. I don't know why people's brains do that, but yeah, they certainly do. So now what? I haven't got a key. Allow me. Isn't that illegal? Yeah. In movies, you often have these scenes where the police just do whatever they want. Yep. Um, but you can't really do that. No. Is, no. And, uh, and I encountered that when I needed help from the police because we live next to meth people, I was mentioning before we were recording. And I'm like, can you just like arrest them because they're crazy? And, and the officers had to be like, we can't do anything because right now they're, they're just crazy. Like yeah. they have to do something else, you know. And are those kind of frustrations, like because you obviously are seeing a situation but you have limitations. Is that ever frustrating to you or are you just resigned to like, I understand the situation? It is. And I've kind of gotten to the point where I understand, but it is frustrating because people see things on TV where yeah. we just oh you my know, gosh. go in TVs and grab and people or we see something mm-hmm. and, you know, we take care of it, you know, in five, 10, 15 oh, minutes. Yeah. And that's, that's not the case yeah. in real life. You know, we have to look at search warrants. We have to look at people's, you know, yes. their rights. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's a great point. It's just something that I, you, you see, Lethal Weapon, any of these movies yep. where they're just like, I could do whatever I want and blow up the houses and do all these crazy things. But you're like, no, unfortunately, yeah, the, that movie would be eight movies because there'd be like, they'd be getting warrants and doing all these proper channels of things. Because once they got to the courts, everything would be thrown out anyway, because things yep. weren't done according to, oh man to be very boring a lot of movies would be very boring yes they wouldn't be near as exciting no uh did you ever see the movie hot fuzz yes i love the part in that where they talk about all the paperwork that they have to do and yep. it, then it actually shows that part that you never see in buddy cop films mm-hmm. where it's like oh all the all the forms they have to fill out um dick miller was the night watchman and his part was shot and cut unfortunately because he's a great character actor uh, they peek inside a lampshade. I don't know why they peek inside the lampshade, but in it yeah, is a number hard. a number code in the mausoleum. Uh, they head back to her house, and on the TV is DOA, the movie that this is riffing on, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty awesome. And then we got dead Joe Piscopo upside down in a fish tank. Yeah. <gasps> Roger? Very weird. We don't 
find out anything about this. We just nope. see him, and because his head's in the fish tank, you kind of—I didn't even know it was him the first time I saw it until they like ten minutes later, and I was like, "Why isn't Joe in this movie anymore?" And I'm like, "Yeah, oh, he was dead." All right, uh, there's a weird dead fish motif in this movie, and um, with the frozen fish in the beginning, yes, Joe Piscopo in this scene, and then there's uh, later on um, when her office is shot up, a fish tank that's full of dead fish. Yes, uh, that's right. Something I was thinking, they didn't say it in this movie, is do you think that this was a funny riff on, like, you're going to be sleeping with the fishes? They suspended him and put his head in a fish oh, tank? Like, that, it, yeah. like maybe a line was cut or something, but, like, I just feel like that's such a thing. Yeah, there was the, a lot of... You're going to sleep with the fishes. Yeah. No one said that on your beat, have they? Have they? No, no, okay. no. That'd be a really weird sort of old-time <laughs> mafia thing to yes, say. Yes, it would be different. <laughs> Uh, next, Treat enters a super 80s bathroom, and Lindsay's in a towel, and Treat and her talk, and if he wasn't rotting, you'd think this is where the sex scene's gonna happen in this movie. Yep. Sorry, Roger. I didn't want to tell you. I didn't think you'd understand. What are you talking about? I, uh, lied about the drugs. I was in the hospital because I was... But then her arm falls off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so her hand starts turning black, and you're like, this is interesting. And then it's like the most graphic, horrific part of the movie as her face melts off and her arm falls off. Yeah. And then her head falls off, rolls over, and then says, I'm sorry, Roger, with no vocal cords, which yep. is the super crazy part, because now we're like in supernatural territory, mm-hmm. not just like zombie world. I'm sorry, Roger. Please forgive me. It's so wild. It's it's really crazy. Uh, Treat makes a phone call and discovers a code by typing the numbers, and it spells body doc. So now we know, with all that great police work, who's yep. behind everything. Yep. In comes... Uh, Treat Williams, and he's gonna face off with McGavin. He's very uh, decomposing at this point. Uh, it's a classic film noir scene. That he's got the gun drawn, and they deliver these back and forth. It's re- really lovely. I love uh, film noir and all the kind of double talk and things that happen. What are you doing here? What do you think, McNabb? Well, you'd have to be more specific than that. Okay, you want specific? Here it comes. You killed me. And you killed Doug. And maybe you didn't kill Randy, but you should have had the decency to let her stay dead. What on earth are you talking about? Revenge, McNabb. And you're on the receiving end unless you come up with some real fast answers. But but this doesn't make any sense. I was helping you. I don't think so. Loudermilk's think tank built a machine for resurrecting people, and you've been trying it out, haven't you? (laughs) That's absurd. Oh, of course, Roger. You're losing your mind. Your brain is deteriorating. But zombies show up, and they knock Treat Williams out. I know I don't want to get into the realism of the situation, but could you <laughs> knock a dead person unconscious? Like, yeah, like that they was. Hit, they hit him on the head, and it's like, wait, now I'm thinking about consciousness and where it would go if yeah. you're dead. Like, yeah, that was that was an interesting part. It's so strange. Um, treats handcuffed in the back of an ambulance. Uh, the ambulance is impossible to escape from. They say, uh-huh. and he uses his foot to, I guess, undo the break is that one yeah um put the i think it was put the band in gear oh gear yeah Yeah. um 
it starts rolling down the hill. It's pretty amazing, this sequence. And he's super excited about it because he's oh, dead. Yeah. Uh, it explodes. Not into realism here, but do vans just explode like that? No, okay. I don't think it was running either. Okay, so. yeah, it wasn't on yeah. at all. <laughs> uh, so both leads are dead. This is a very interesting part of the movie where the two main characters you've been watching are now both deceased. Mm-hmm. It's like, who are we going to watch? But we see a body bag. It's smoke coming out, and it starts to unzip, and now Treat is in his full sort of where we're going to get to decomposing half of his face is now a crazy monster effect yep. the cop pulls a gun on him this cop is shane black who um has gone on to direct a lot of films he's a writer as well wow. um, but his brother was the person working on this film so he got to play a bit part as the police officer that pulls the gun Hold it. that's far enough Detective Mortis, homicide. You're, you're a cop. Surprise. Hmm. But Treat pulls out his badge, and then Shane Black has to just give him his gun. Yeah. Um. You wouldn't re- just give your gun to another officer, no, right? Like no, that's... that's 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 not normal. Okay, good, <laughs> good. It's good to know that they took some liberties in yeah. the sequence with a dead police officer. Uh. We have all the guys, all the bad guys are now in one place. They're all around the resurrection machine, and Vincent Price is back. He's not dead. Yep. He delivers a wonderful monologue about how the rich should live on forever and the poor people shouldn't, and it's a, we have like a class war set up in the middle of this 80s movie, apparently. Yeah. Like rodents after a lump of cheese, isn't it sad? Everybody dies, rich and poor. Death doesn't discriminate. <laughs> At least not until now. Treat crashes his motorbike, flinging himself through the window, <laughs> sliding on his back, and shooting all the bad guys. It's a pretty amazing uh, yeah. situation. Um, very unsafe. Treat keeps offing people, and he even gets some witty catchphrases where uh, the guy stands up and he shoots him, and he sit, and then he says, "Sit down." Mm-hmm. You know. Um, a little disturbing because that guy's just a security guard. Uh, he's just doing his job. Yeah. And then Treat just <laughs> shoots like. He's not hired probably by them understanding that they're henchmen and, you know, resurrecting people. So I was like, I felt bad for that guy, really. He's just on a regular Wednesday. We get a zombie versus zombie with the Uzis, and they're just shooting each other endlessly. that's right, yeah. It's so funny to me. And originally, I guess that scene was like two more minutes of of just, you know, which makes me think of RoboCop when, like, the Ed 209 comes into the office and just shoots the guy for so long. Like, it's very disturbing. Uh, Treat enters the chamber. Uh More people die. There's a corpse on the table, and Darren McGavin reveals it's Joe Piscopo. I want him. You're dead, McNabb. You're even deader than I am. Oh, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And uh, they bring Joe back. And uh, Joe picks up Treat by his throat. Yep. And you're like, oh no, he's going to kill our hero, who's dead already. Uh, and then Treat says, Doug, remember the lipstick? Mulberry wine brings out my eyes. And it snaps him back in. So we have that uh, moment comes back. Uh, 
Treat says, hi, Doug, welcome to Zombieland, which is a funny little line. I wonder if that's where Zombieland yeah. got its title from. Uh, there's more Uzis. I love 80s movies with Uzis. Have you ever seen an Uzi in real life? No, I haven't. Okay, I haven't either. I forgot about him until I saw yes. this movie. <laughs> yeah, it was such a... Th- every every bad guy was like an Uzi was the weapon, and they all spray. They don't yep. even... They don't necessarily even point it. They're just like... No, it's all just, from the hip. Yeah, it's all... It's so wild. Uh, Vincent says, why can't you kill him? Kill him. Why can't you kill him? Over and over and over. Oh, no, you bastards aren't going to take me. You cheated me. Uh, McGavin shoots himself in the head. Our villain takes himself out of the equation. So what do they do? Bring him back. They put him on the resurrection machine so they can kill him. Uh, But instead he explodes. It's not really explained how they did that, but... Yeah, that was... Yeah. Uh, So you're watching a film now where all the main characters are technically dead, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, a very unique situation. Man, Roger, you are a mess. I've seen meatloaf that looks better than you. You're not exactly a forest lawn poster child yourself, Doug. Hey, we really trashed our ass, didn't we? That's asses, Roger. Hey, Roger, you think we'll be reincarnated? As what? I don't know, maybe you get a choice. You can be whatever you want. Oh, you mean like a statesman or a president or a prize-winning novelist? Personally, I'd like to come back as the seat on a girl's bike. Now that is truly inspiring. Thank you hip beats start playing so we know that it ends and they walk out into the fog saying funny lines hopefully leading us towards the sequel that we sadly never got yeah Um, and that's the end the title explodes in a very (laughs) celebratory way and that's a dead heat any final thoughts on uh on this film it it was an interesting film i when i watched it the second time i actually found it way more humorous and picking up on the little lines and yeah but um it was a good movie. It was one of the very few I think I've seen where everybody, all your heroes, villains, and everybody dies in the Everyone's end. dead. Yeah. yeah. And not even like, because it's so lighthearted and goofy and there's zombies or whatever. Like, none of it's, um, there's no downside to it. There's not like a, a dour moment where people, I mean, there's moments yeah. really briefly where mm-hmm. they sort of touch on rea- the reality of the situation, but... Um, it's not something where you're like, oh, I got to wade through the sad part or whatever, you know, like even Joe, it's a, what, 30 seconds that he's like sad before they resurrect Treat Williams. Like it keeps at a brisk pace the whole time on the way through. Um, oh yeah. So before we get to the final questions, uh, my Seattle story that I hinted at at the beginning Mm -hmm. uh, when I broke the law. Uh, so I went to Seattle your your jurisdiction's not Seattle. No, right? okay, oh no, no. Perfect. I'm in Oregon. <clears throat> so I grew up in Springfield, Eugene area of Oregon. And in Eugene, uh, it's a college town by, for the most part. So everyone leaves. And in the summer, it's super chill. So, I, you know, I would just walk all over the city. I never drove. So um, I never paid attention to crosswalk signals. So in Seattle, I was crossing the street. I just moved to Portland, but I was in Seattle visiting and I just walked across the street and on the other side was a, an officer and he was like whoa what are you doing and i'm like crossing the street like completely oblivious to him and probably looked like i was being a total asshole and he's like i crossed the street completely and he goes uh, you can't do that and i was like well i was just crossing the street and he's like you have to wait for the signal and i was like well that's not really a thing and he's like this is totally a thing like it's a it's a law and i'm like well not in portland and he's like i'm pretty sure it is in portland and i was like 
Well, I don't know. And then at this moment, he realized that I was completely clueless. I had no idea that this very basic thing that people encounter every day. So he didn't write me a ticket. He gave me a warning. But it was just, I, when I replayed in my head, it's so funny. Because he was just, like, used to people, like, seeing the police officer and then obeying the law. And I just clearly yep. just watched right in front. It's uh, it's it's, it's fairly a weird interaction. But um, that's my that's my breaking the law story. So it's a little light. But yeah. um, there you go. Uh, are there any common misconceptions about a police officer? Oh, coffees and donuts. Right? Oh, good one. That's it's kind of... We do like coffee for the caffeine, but mm. kind of gotten away from the donuts. Right, it's that's uh, good. I mean, you're you're exercising and being healthy, so yeah. Yeah. Um, boy, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, it's probably a lot, and we don't have to get into the yeah. heavy stuff, but. Oh, there. Oh, let me see. We don't give tickets to everybody. Mm. We don't get paid extra. You have tickets to oh, people. Oh, yeah. yeah. Quotas is something we, people always talk about. We we don't have quotas. Don't have quotas. No quotas. That's good. We could break that one. Yeah, that's... I've never heard of such a thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hear it from my friends and different people, but in the law enforcement community, I don't... I've yeah, never heard... That's that perception, is that like you would come back with a big stack full of tickets and they'd be like, oh, you did it. You caught them all with their all breaking the law yep nope at the end of the year we don't get tallied up and got it hey jeremy got the most tickets given this year or... you don't put them in a jar and be like guess how many tickets are in this nope jar? nope there's no lottery for <laughs> okay. it there's there's nothing um we don't we do a lot of paperwork uh-huh um probably 60 percent of our time's done uh, doing paperwork that's... it's not out chasing bad guys right and... mm-hmm. oh what other ones there's a lot of them out there. Is there a, a weapons locker with that has a guy standing in it where you can sign out a flamethrower? No, ah. no, no, none of those. That's disappointing. None of those. <laughs> we, uh, um, yeah, no, we uh, mostly save some boring checking stuff out and checking stuff in and making sure our cars are clean. And yeah, it's not as exciting as they make it in the movies. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. They got to glamorize it and get rid of a lot of the realism because it would slow the pace of things down. It would. It'd make a long movie. There'd yeah. There'd be lots of sequels to figure out what's going to happen in the end. Yeah. It would have to be like, they'd probably do it now on HBO where they could have like 10 episodes. So it'd be like 10 hours, but it would yeah. be one day. And like the middle episodes, like four of them would just be paperwork. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't think of any other yeah. misconceptions. I mean, there's a lot, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, one question I had that I forgot to put in my earlier notes is, um, like I touched on, there's many aspects to being a police officer. So do you have trainings on all these things from, like, weapon stuff to how to deal with people in escalated situations or how to support firefighters in the event of a fire or... Yes, actually, over the last several years, there's been a lot more training. Okay. Um, you know, of course, there's the firearms, mm-hmm. the defensive tactics, but there's a lot to deal with um, when you come up on people suffering from mental health issues. Yeah. Um, de-escalation techniques mm-hmm. um, and laws. Laws have changed so much. We're 
constantly getting training on how laws change or new laws or laws that have gone away or how to deal mm. with certain case laws. It's it's a lot of a lot of training, a lot of work, a lot of things to remember. We have yeah. cheat sheets and thank goodness for Google now. We Google a lot of stuff and there's a lot of information out on Google in the state of Oregon, how we deal with stuff. And do you, uh, I mean, I'm sure you have to have like CPR training and things like that as well. Yep. We have to, part of keeping our certification is we have to have um, first aid CPR, mm -hmm. stay current on that. Um, we've actually gone a little farther and unfortunately today's day and age with more intense first aid, how to care for wounds and tourniquet use and mm -hmm. life-saving procedures. So it's... Law enforcement has come a long way since I started. Yeah. That's, I mean, just in my old job, the uh, the amount of different trainings for working with people who are escalated and, and all those sort of situations, it really sort of opened my eyes to like, oh, wow, like this is just one aspect to this job. So yeah. I'd imagine as a police officer, there's a variety of those things that you have to constantly be up to date on. Yep. And there's some of us that are a little better at some things than other things and, and we actually, yeah people are like that yeah we make sure we use those so if you know one of the other guys i work with is better in a certain area i'll call him over and have him give me a hand or they'll call me over so it it's a real team atmosphere and how we work and at the end of the day it's about serving the community mm -hmm. and the best we can do at it that's awesome what is a good day like for you as a police officer oh man a good day is, you know, having, you know, getting to work, being able to get my vehicle ready, not running out to a call and briefing with the guys and then going and grabbing a cup of coffee and, you know, going out and running traffic, doing a few calls, having time to do follow-up, yeah. interact with people, get reports done, keeping the sergeants and management happy with my, uh, proactiveness and mm -hmm. getting back and typing reports and when i go home not not being buried yeah. and having positive experiences with the public yeah being able to turn it off you mean like yeah. when you go home so you yeah. can be present for family yeah yeah that's a whole nother skill set you see uh part of the reason my wife and i did what we did for 10 years and not further was like you can there's some points in these jobs where it can change you or well it's going to probably change you before yeah. you change it um so you the trainings and things the mindfulness that we talked about earlier make it a you able to do the the job and be uh sort of fresh each time rather mm -hmm. than um the grizzled old detective you would see in movies where they just don't care anymore and they're going to be not exactly warm to people and not great at verbal de-escalation you know yes um, you always see those characters, so yeah, it, it's uh, that being able to sort of turn it off, whereas I think my wife and I both were that mindset where we had to keep solving the problem because we were working with the same people, so it's like, how am I going to get through to this person? How am I going to... Yeah. And because of that, at a certain point, you're like, let's pass the torch to the next person, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like... Yeah, and those are kind of the bad days when you, you know, when yeah. I'm off and I'm trying to think, gosh, how could I have service that call better how can oh, i oh gosh how could i have helped things. those people better yeah. or trying to figure out the next day how i'm gonna you know work a case those those are the rougher days yeah um, uh, that's my next question is what's a bad day like because i can imagine it could go real bad a bad day is the minute 
you know, we get our car and ready for shift. We're out taking call after call. Um, none of the calls go well. I mean, obviously traffic accidents, things where people sure. get hurt. Those, yeah. those are the type of calls we don't like to see because we don't want to go knock on somebody's door. Hey, you know, your loved one's been in an accident. They're on their way to the hospital now. How can we help you? Yeah. Um, you know, not getting lunch mm-hmm. in the afternoon. Yeah, there's, lunch right Yep, there is that thing. You know, we do get hangry too. Yeah. So it's a... Uh, you work a 10-hour shift? 10-hour shift. So let's say it's... 10 hours and you're in the middle of something with someone who's you're verbally de-escalating or something do you go over and are you compensated for that or do you have to in the middle pass it on to somebody else most of the time we stay over depending on what the situation is we may somebody may come take over for us but i mean if we're in the middle of it they'll they'll have us stay over just Mm. depending if it looks like it's going to be a three or four hour thing they're going to kick us loose but yeah it's going to be 30 40 minutes we'll stay help out got it so it easier for people to deal with one person yeah. through a situation than it's a little more impersonal. Hey, this Fred's here. He's going to take over for me. And right. they're feeling like, well, my, you know, am I not that important that you're going to finish up with me? Yeah. 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 So I was just wondering that. Um, <clears throat> what are your favorite things about being a police officer? couple different things i like the freedom the you know i'm able to you know if i want to go out and run traffic if i want to get out and talk to people mm-hmm. if you know fielding calls and doing different types of investigations um helping people that's i mean at the end of the day that's what i really like if i can go home and i i know i've helped somebody through a bad situation mm-hmm. or even if it's a flat tire out on the road help them get help or change the tire for them that's those are good things yeah Awesome. Um, do you have any advice for someone who's interested in law enforcement? I would say be a reserve. Okay. Um, you know, get out there, ride with, you know, even if you don't have time to be a reserve, go ride with officers, see. And I encourage everybody to do that. It kind of gives a different perspective. You may have yeah. a think being a police officer is one way, but if you go ride with a few different people, you may you may see what they go through and have a different different view yeah so it may give you an idea if you, it's something you really want to do or not we've had several guys come through and they've you know after about a year this this just isn't for me and which i respect and they'll sure. they'll quit it's better than it is with it when it's not for you it is um the unfortunate part is you know they leave a great job or something to you know a lot of them have gone back to that type of work mm-hmm. but you know if they had ridden for a while or become a reserve uh, they might have noticed that a little bit earlier than going through about a year of training. Yeah, that uh, makes sense. Uh, which brings us to the final question, and it's my favorite question. Uh, Jeremy, what are your dreams like? Like? At nighttime. Nighttime? Oh, there's there's some nights where I spend a lot of time awake. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't sleep. There are some horrible dreams and stuff, and then there's other times where... Yeah, I, I sleep pretty good, but it's it's hit and miss. It's up and down. It's like you said, you know, doing the job for so long, no matter what it is, and dealing with people's bad situations. Yeah. There's times where you have some horrible dreams and times where you sleep great. Yeah. that's it's. Uh, this is the first time I've, I've had a police officer on the program and realized, like, the gambit of 
you know, positive to negative interactions that you could mm -hmm. have that your brain could be like, I'm going to replay this one or I'm going to tweak this bad situation when you're like, this is the time when I'm trying to recharge so yeah. that I could be like on point in the day. Like, what are you doing here? It's, yeah, there's, there's, I've had weeks. It normally goes in kind of like spurts. I'll have mm -hmm. like two or three days where I just don't sleep well at all. And then when my weekend hits, I just, I crash. Nice. I sleep all day. I feel like I waste my weekend away, but. Got to refuel um, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it takes a lot to be present for people and especially to enter a situation of, uh, already escalated people yeah. and for you to have to mentally decode the situation not necessarily the words people are using but understanding you know what is happening there and because they're all speaking from different points of view some of them yeah. are very heightened yep. some, you know some people are, are mad at each other and all the situations i'm thinking about it's like one person's perspective but you might have a car accident or something where someone rear-ended somebody and yep. then there's heated back and forth between people and you know Having yeah. to navigate all of that, I can't even fathom it. It's tricky sometimes. Some people de-escalate really quickly when somebody shows up and other people, it almost... Um, Sets them off. Yeah, it almost yeah. heightens it. Mm -hmm. and you kind of got to sit and listen to them for a while before they realize they're, you know... Yeah, they got to come around on their own. Yeah, almost. exactly. They got to realize that, hey, this we're not getting anywhere here. We need to, right. need to calm down a little bit and move forward. Wow. Well, it's a fascinating profession and i thank you so much for not just watching dead heat but yeah. for uh coming here and sharing some of your path with law enforcement thank you yeah totally appreciate it um if i ever find another uh police film maybe i could reach out to you again absolutely all right awesome. i'd watch another one cool all right thank you so much <laughs>